I remembered when I started working with textiles, there's just something about the material that I felt like I wasn't achieving with just paint alone. I, I think because textiles have a story, there's a narrative that's embedded into textiles. And everyone has a relationship to textiles because we wear clothes, right? We all have this intimate connection to it. And I think as a material, and because it can be loaded in that way, you know, with, with emotional content, that became interesting to me too. Because then, you know, I, I could make these abstract paintings, but then they could still refer to the body or to a place because of textiles. And so that's something that I'm, I'm really interested in. And, and also being able to work with color and pattern and even now like returning to weaving. Yeah, those are all things that are interesting to me. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 250th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Paulo Arau, who spoke with me from Brooklyn, where he lives and works. We talk all about how he got there, how he started studying classical music, how that eventually evolved into visual art and painting. We talk all about residencies and his transitions and works, doing drawing, doing painting, and most recently, exploring painting through various fabrics and textiles, how all of those come together to create not only works that are static 2d paintings but installations things that encompass huge spaces and wrap columns and again it's a fascinating interview super excited to share it and hope that you enjoy it we talk a bit about his solo exhibition that's going on right now called drawdown at morgan lehman gallery in new york that runs through may 8th he also has an exhibition up at the columbus museum of art in columbus georgia Paulo Arau in dialogue with drawing and that runs through August 8th and we talk a bit about those shows and of course other bodies of work you can see more work by visiting his website paulorau.com and be sure to follow him on Instagram at paulo underscore Arau. If you're checking out Studio Break for the first time, head on over to studiobreak.com and check out our archived interviews. We feature a variety of different artists, each of which have images of their work, links to their websites, so you can find out all about them. And of course, you can listen right there on Studio Break. Or if you like the podcast, be sure and subscribe if you listen on Apple or Spotify or wherever. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, be sure to follow studio underscore break i am david linaway so you can find me at david linaway on instagram and twitter so be sure to say hello with those announcements out of the way let's get to this wonderful interview with paulo arau stay tuned welcome to studio break paulo arau how are you I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you are a wonderful invite to have on, and especially this wonderful afternoon. I've got this sunlight pouring through and kind of reminds me of colorful work, so maybe it's fitting. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, you know, I always love learning about artists and, you know, especially backgrounds and obviously process, and I'm sure we'll talk right. all about that. But that's going to be my first question. Where, where are you from originally? You're from you're Brooklyn right now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm based in Brooklyn, but, you know, I was born in the Philippines mm -hmm. and I moved to the U.S. when I was three years old. My, my dad was in the U.S. Navy. We moved to Hawaii 
when I was three. And then after Hawaii, I, I lived in uh, Florida. And then after Florida, Virginia. And then from Virginia, I, I did, you know, a small stint up in Vermont. And then I've been based in, in New York, based in Brooklyn for uh, going on 21 years now. Wow. Yeah. So lots yeah. of lots of experience there, I'm sure. Yeah. Lots of moving around, for sure, when, when we were growing up. And I guess I'm just curious, and hopefully this doesn't sound weird. I was thinking about this earlier. If you remember that movie Mannequin, yeah, like, maybe <laughs> maybe Paulo saw Mannequin and was like totally want to dive into like a <laughs> you know experimentation with uh, wardrobes, or maybe got locked in a department store. I don't know. But wh- where did th- where did that come from? Did you make a lot of stuff when you were growing up? No, you know, my mom growing up, she she sewed a lot of our clothes, mine and my sister's, mm-hmm. and so. I think being around fabrics and textiles um, at an early age, like that definitely has shaped my working with that material. Although I didn't really come to working with textiles until much later on. You know, when I was younger, I had more of an interest in drawing and, you know, I would take these um the fabric patterns that my mom would be working off of. And I would try to redraw these fashion illustrations. So I think those were some of my earliest drawings was, you know, taking these pattern, these dress patterns, and then drawing the the illustrations of, you know, the figures with their, you know, with the dress on or whatever. That was something that I'd forgotten about until, until recently when I was, you know, when I started working with textiles and thinking back to when I was a lot younger and, you know, that, it was always around. Well, I mean, it's a familiar thing, right? Something, right. you know, like if you were raised around a chef or something, how do you not cook? Right. <laughs> um, I'm especially kind of curious. So like, so what kind of things did you like doing? Like, was there any kind of creativity or was it, Yeah. you know, in a different area? Yeah. You know, I actually first started as my real interest was in, in music. And so I, I uh, started playing the piano at a very young age. Um, and I, played classical piano. I I did that all through junior high, high school. And actually, that's when I went to college. I initially was was accepted to Virginia Commonwealth University as a music performance and composition major. So I mean, you know, at from a young age through high school, you know, I thought my trajectory was going to be, I was going to be this concert pianist. And, and so that sort of shifted midway through my, my freshman year of, of uh, college. I love those stories. I mean, how, yeah, how yeah. unpredictable is that, you know? <laughs> At the same time, like music has, it's been uh, an influence. It, it's helped shape my aesthetic and, you know, other aspects of growing up and, you know, having to move around. And, you know, I was also raised in a Catholic household, uh, you know, so, you know, religion is, even mm-hmm. though I'm not a practicing Catholic religion uh, or some aspects of religion, especially the iconography and, and um, even sometimes the music, like all of those things have also shaped how, how I think and see and make work. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, and again, I try to think about like, the discipline involved in trying to become a classical pianist, you know, I would imagine that like that level of commitment, like in terms of practice is something that totally relates to the idea of, of your work. Yeah. I feel like that was ingrained 
very early on because when I started taking piano lessons, you know, I, I mean, I, I was really serious about, about playing the piano and I would practice for anywhere from like six hours a day to eight hours a day. I, and you know, when I went to high school, I went to a, the governor's magnet school for the arts. And so, so half of the morning I would be at my regular high school and then the rest of the afternoon I would go to the magnet school and then be joined there with you know, other artists, musicians, uh, performing artists, theater people, dancers from all over, um, you know, the city. It's kind of like that movie Fame or (laughs) that that TV show Fame. It's kind of like that. So like in the afternoons, we would go to magnet school and um, it definitely uh, had an impact on me. And, you know, and it it sort of instilled that discipline of working and, and having to balance like schoolwork and then also practicing the piano. And yeah, so it was developing this rigorous schedule and this discipline was was instilled pretty pretty early on and i it was because of music yeah and it's interesting for me like again to kind of think about that relationship to like even residencies um i've you know had the pleasure of doing vermont studio center once but you know it was kind of really huge to me you know and i've seen that you've Uh, done it a number of times but that whole like incubator of like being around other creative people and you're going to see somebody that's going to do like a dance recital and you don't ever see that normally, but there's this community and kind of energy and very cool stuff. So yeah, of course, really curious. Well, you know, what happened at Virginia Commonwealth where you (laughs) had this under, did you take like a drawing class then? No, no, no. You know, so I was, I was there. Yeah. I was, it was during my freshman year, the first semester. And I was in, I was in one of these, one of the practice rooms, which is basically like the size of a walk-in closet. Right. And so it's, Mm -hmm soundproof room it had it had a, a grand piano in it and i just remembered like practicing scales and working on a bach piece and and then just thinking like ah you know i think this isn't this isn't where i want to be this isn't what i'm what i'm meant to be doing and 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 because i had gone to the magnet school in high school you know i ended up befriending a lot of visual artists they you know they became my closest friends and and i thought you know what i want to i think i want to be a painter and so i i applied to the the visual arts department and i got accepted but then uh, the downside of that was that I lost my music scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I had to kind of like, and my parents were furious about that. I mean, it was like, they, they were sort of like on the fence about me being a music student. And then when I told them that I wanted to be an artist, a painter, it was just right. like, oh, how low can you go? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in the long run, I, I'm so glad that I made that decision. It was just something that I felt like in the moment you know, in that practice room, it just, I can't really explain it, except that it was just this overwhelming feeling that I had that, that I needed to do something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would imagine that was super exciting then to just kind of like, you know, open a different door <laughs> and, yeah. and kind of step into it. But I would imagine you had some kind of like experience cause you've been, you know, hanging out with all these visual artists as well. Right. Yeah. To the yeah, arts. yeah. You know, and I had done some collaborations with some of my artist friends at the Magnet School, and and we did some sort of like performance happening things too. And I'm kind of looking back at this now and thinking that it's kind of funny, but these things that we were so serious about and looking back and thinking, was it actually good? I don't think it was, (laughs) but like, (laughs) sure. There was just something about about art that was because I didn't know too much about it. 
it was very exciting to me. And because I had spent so many years practicing and, and sort of reinterpreting other other composers, I wanted to do something that that was original to me that I made, you know, rather than interpret a piece of music by Mozart or Chopin or Bach or Beethoven. It's like, I wanted to do something original, but I also wanted to do something visual in that sense too. So... Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting to me because the the artist, again, that I just interviewed, uh, Gabe Langholz, kind of described something similar in that he had kind of spent so many years playing music and found that the most creative parts were when they were making songs and arranging compositions and shuffling things around. And then it was like, okay, now I got to go perform this set, you know, 150 times, you know? Right. (laughs) And so I think that's got to be something that's really exciting when you kind of go like, wow, you know, like I don't have anything that I'm bringing to this that I have to do. So what was that initial experience then in terms of like, you know, studying, were you kind of just all in? Yeah. So I started the visual arts program my second semester and I took all the foundation courses, you know, which just like the overview of like color theory, drawing, all, all of that. And it was just, all of that was just so exciting to me. In a way, I felt like it was so new that I had to, I had a lot of catching up to do. This, you know, all these other students who are there were there as art students. They they applied, they got in, they, you know, they had been making artwork for a long time and they, they had more knowledge about the process than I did. And so I was just soaking it all in. Like it was all super fascinating to me. And I was it was a really exciting time. So everything was just fresh and new and and yeah, I loved it. Well, you're kind of like the, uh, I guess, archetype of the type of student that I love is that like student without a background, um, yeah. you know, cause like they're so open and willing to kind of learn stuff just cause that's what you're trying to present, you know? And I was on the opposite side of that, you know, like I remember being in my drawing class and not, you know, having any interest cause I'm like, I had done, you know, these cool graphic design projects in high school. Why am I, you know, trying to figure out how to measure something? Right. <laughs> I would imagine that that's something that you could kind of really easily kind of absorb in that same way that like that rigorous, you know, training schedule that you had kind of developed. I mean, like you're going to be like, oh, OK, I got to do 70 sketches. I got this, you know. I always have felt that I, I love challenges. I think it's also because I'm naturally a competitive person. I think mm-hmm. that's also come from playing the piano and, and, you know, doing these music competitions and things like that. Like, I always want everything to be great. I I believe that everyone, well, hopefully everyone strives to make good work, but it's just, yeah, it just felt like I had a lot to prove, you know, Mm -hmm. to myself. So yeah, I mean, that that was just sort of this, this pressure that I put on myself. This like, it was like this good pressure, I think. Were there any kind of artists that stood out to you that you can think back on that was like, wow, you know, I didn't didn't think that this was art or, you know, I could see myself doing something like this down the road or, you know, that inspired you? Well, when I was in art school, I remembered watching the Basquiat film that uh, Julian Schnabel did. Mm-hmm. And I remembered right after I, I watched that film, I, I rode my bike to to the studio and I was just like, I painted all night. And that was like, <laughs> you know, like one of these moments where it's like, I loved art. I loved the world. I mean, it was just like so inspiring to me. And uh, yeah, so I guess that was a that was a, a big moment. And then also just, you know, in art history, learning about um, like the abstract expressionists mm-hmm. Also, the hard edge and colored field painters, op artists, and also 
thinking about Kandinsky and Paul Klee, and also because Paul Klee was, you know, a violinist and he was a musician before he, he became an artist. And so that, you know, he was an artist that I immediately felt a connection with and, and his work. And well, and it seems so obvious too, relative to all those, those folks that you just mentioned. I mean, the relationship of color obviously is something that's super important and, you know, certainly something that can tie into, you know, your, your recent work. And I'm assuming that's something that was always interesting. I guess to be more specific about this time, were there like paintings or things that you did come maybe towards the end of that experience that you were really excited about, you know, in terms of leaving it with like a thesis or, or something like that? Yeah, I had a solo show my senior year at VCU and, you know, it was sort of the culmination of everything that I had done. Painting wise, I was really interested in in the grid, super interested in color paint like the physicality of paint i was i was working with oil um and so i loved the grid because it it was the structure that i could work within and against it was like this framework that that allowed me to be able to improvise it also allowed me to focus on color because color back then the grid back then was really important to me and it and it still is to this day you know tw- over 20 years later it's still it's still something that's part of my work though it's manifested itself in a different way what was the process like during this time i guess that's something that we haven't really talked about were you interested in like kind of like just a very formal relationship of exploring abstraction in the grid yeah you know it was also partially because um, VCU, when I was there, I don't know if it, it is so much now, there were a lot of people doing abstract work. Mm-hmm. Aside from doing life drawing, I wasn't making still lifes. It was all abstraction. And I think I just gravitated to abstraction because to me, that was that was the closest thing to music. And music was something that I was already familiar with. And it just, you know, music and and art share the same language or terminology. And I could think about art the way that I thought about music and just sort of, I could compose a painting the way that I think about composing a song or, you know, the, the, there were these sort of crossovers and relationships between the two. And so, yeah, so I, I gravitated towards abstraction because it, it, it felt the closest to music. It seems like you had some other experiences to be able to kind of study overseas. Was that something that also was pretty impactful? Yeah. When I was a junior, I I did an exchange program and I went to the Loughborough College of Art and Design in England. And then after that semester, I did that for a semester. And then into the summer, I met a bunch of VCU students in Florence. And so we studied abroad in Florence for, I think it was a, a month or two two. I can't remember. That that definitely was was formative for me to spend, you know, a semester in England and then go directly to Italy and <laughs> spend summer there. It definitely because my experience up until then with art was just, you know, the the people that I went to high school with in Virginia Beach and went to the magnet school with and then, you know, my my friends and classmates um, in Richmond at VCU and so that experience like totally, you know, threw the doors wide open. And I got to meet all of these British artists and, you know, and then I got to see all this amazing art in, in Florence and, and, and Rome and, and everyone, you know, all these things that I was learning about in art, art history class, I got to see in person. And that definitely was uh, super impactful. Yeah, I think that there's hopefully some story like that for everybody. Yeah. Some variation of that where you're like, oh, wow, I totally did the right thing. You know, it's got to be like a, 
a little bit of a confirmation, like, okay, like this was a good decision. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, well, so I'm curious, you know, like thinking about, you know, timeline after that, you've got a lot of different experience. I know that uh, you also went to Skowhegan. Yep. It seems like the following year. So that was probably a pretty gigantic opportunity there. Yeah. No, so, you know, when I graduated from VCU in 1999, the first thing that I did was I, I went to the Vermont Studio Center. Mm-hmm. Like that was right, right after, right after undergrad. And, and that sort of opened up more experiences for me and just being able to meet a, a bunch of different artists from all over the world and um, of varying ages and, and lived experiences. That to me was such a, such an eye opener. And because, you know, again, that was like sort of broadening the, the art world for mm-hmm. me. Like I, I, I realized that the art world was this huge, vast thing, but then it was also small at the same time. And after the Vermont Studio Center, I ended up being hired on as a staff artist. So I, I, I lived there for a year. Oh, wow. Or close to a year, actually. You know, um, while I was there, I, I just remembered I loved it so much that I, I said, you know, if, if there's ever any time that a position comes open, I would love to come back here and work. And so after my residency, I went home back to Virginia Beach where my, my family was living at the time. And then a month later, I got a call from the Vermont Studio Center saying, hey, there's a job opening. Do you want to come back up and work? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so, yeah, so I, I started working at the Vermont Studio Center a month after my residency there. And I stayed on for close to a year year working as a staff artist and that's um you know one of the one of the benefits of doing that was i got to meet with all of the visiting artists who came through Mm -hmm. just like everyone else and and one of the visiting artists who came through was um an artist named paul ramirez jonas and i remembered he he came to my studio and he was like why why are you in vermont you should be in new york city like Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, you should apply to to Skowhegan. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So yeah, sure. I'll apply. <laughs> and I applied to Skowhegan and then I got in and then I realized that Paul was one of the, he was one of the resident artists who was going to be there that whole summer, like teaching. And mm-hmm. so it was really, you know, thanks to Paul that I, that I got to Skowhegan and I, I met so many, so many artists there. And that was what helped me move to to the city like I hadn't I hadn't really thought about moving to New York or I was I was scared to move to New York because I didn't have sort of this network or or this uh, connection to it and when I went to Skowhegan I met so many New Yorkers that Mm -hmm. that it just became clear that I had to move to New York and so after Skowhegan I went back to Vermont and I gave them my notice and then you know I packed up my bag and I moved to New York and I've been I've been here ever since wow yeah again I I understand that because uh, at least with people that I know there's like so many um, variations to how that story works out so I could understand yeah. being a little apprehensive or you know how do I do that but it seems like also you had a lot of people that you had met so it probably wasn't that you know off-putting when you got there and you're like oh right like all my friends are here so yeah I mean, looking back at it now, I think I was in my early 20, like 23 or so when I moved to New York. And I, you know, I moved to New York with a backpack and four hundred dollars. That's that's it, right. And it was just like (laughs) it's like, okay, I I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. And like looking back now, it's like, God, like, I don't think that I could I could like do that. I mean, I I, I don't (laughs) you know, it's just like how did you (laughs) just like. You know, there's just kind of like just, you know, taking that leap of faith mm-hmm. in a way, you know, and just know and, and also just knowing that that I had made such close friends and I had this like supportive community 
And I think that's also the one thing about having done all these residencies is that notion of community. Like that's like one of the greatest things about doing those residencies. Aside from having the time and space to make your work, it's 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 forming community and, you know, making these long lasting friendships. The people that I met at Skyrohegan, I'm still friends with to this day. And so... Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. I mean, if I hadn't gone to Vermont, I wouldn't have been able to go to Skyhegan and if I hadn't gone to Skyhegan, I wouldn't be in New York. And so, it's just, it's funny how those things sort of happen. Yeah, like I said earlier, you could have gotten a job at Hobby Lobby and you'd be stuck in the fabrics department right. for no, exactly. <laughs> for years and you never never have any of this. Well, no, I say that cuz I think it's it is really kind of important to kind of think about that, you know? Yeah. And it's something that I definitely miss because I, I really enjoy that. And I also just kind of wonder for myself too, like what would it be like if I had a podcast, you know, uh, when I, you know, got out of school 10 years ago or so, you know, oh, 10 right. years ago, see, I even lost count. That's how bad it is. Right. You get so <laughs> old. You're like, I don't know, it was yeah. 20 years ago, whenever that was. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious, what did you wind up doing for a job? I guess, since you're, you know, been in New York since then? Have you been yeah. doing art handling or teaching? Yeah. Or? No, you know, when I first moved to New York, I found the, you know, I was couch surfing for, for months mm-hmm. and it was all from people who I went to Skowhegan with. And then finally I, I ended up finding an apartment from another Skowhegan alumni, not from the year that I was there, but just through the network of Skowhegan alumni. I found an apartment in Brooklyn and, you know, as he was, he was getting ready to move out. He was also like, you know, I have this job. You want to, do you want to, I'm working for another artist. Do you want to, you know, maybe interview for the job as well? So I ended up moving into, I found my apartment and a job the same day. <laughs> but prior to that, you know, when I was bouncing around on couches, couch surfing, I, I was working for so many different artists. I, I worked seven days a week just because I didn't, and all of the, the gigs were sort of, they weren't permanent gigs. So I was just kind of saying yes to everything because I didn't know when the next job would come. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at, at one point I was working for maybe 10 different artists, seven days a week. Wow. And I would imagine that's got to have a huge impact on thinking about your own work and oh my god yeah i didn't i didn't really make that much work in the beginning and you know i didn't have a studio i i was making work in my bedroom i was making drawings mm-hmm. just just to to keep making but you know at the same time being in new york that was such a new experience for me and and getting to work for so many different artists that was exciting too you know i got to work for so many great artists i worked for Saul Witt for a little bit i i helped install his uh, whitney retrospective yeah it was just fascinating to to get to see different studios and that was that was also really inspiring because i didn't have a studio you know and i had just moved to new york and i you know wanted to be an artist and getting to see other artists who were actually doing it you know like these real artists who were doing it was was really inspiring for me as well yeah, and I'm imagining that you probably lifted a lot of things from them too. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe no, not I, literally, but like you know, I would imagine you're you know learning some process that you've never done. That's like taking you all day to like weave something, or I don't know. I yeah, I could just yeah. imagine the types of things that artists will have somebody organize, you know, or you know, go through these five thousand slides and you know pick yeah. up the good ones. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> it was definitely a different kind of education, you know, and it, it was something that I don't think that I could have been prepared for. And so, 
that was, you know, it was, it was valid. It was invaluable. You know, being an artist assistant was, you know, there were some times where it was, it, it felt glamorous. Other times it was like completely the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. I was like picking up dry cleaning and um, buying presents and, you know, cleaning, cleaning up. And it was just like, um, yeah, the, the range of, of different tasks that I had to do. There was a really broad range. Sure, sure. Yeah, in the end, I, I learned so much about sort of the things to do, the things not to do uh, when it comes to my own work and my own practice. And yeah, it's it's definitely was super helpful. Well, and so to kind of think about this, you know, getting maybe out of the bedroom um, <laughs> and maybe finding yeah. a, a studio space, <laughs> you know, what was that transition like? Because, you know, obviously, like you're saying, it's you know difficult to kind of focus on your own work. I would imagine that at some point you're able to start doing that. Yeah, you know, so I was working in my bedroom for the longest time because I couldn't afford to have a studio. So I was I was making drawings. And that that's a funny thing too because when I graduated from VCU, I was, you know, I was an abstract painter. I was making these grid-based paintings in oil and you know, I didn't have a studio, so I couldn't work in oil. So so in a way, my my living situation was what, because of practical reasons, I just started making drawings. You know, it was it was relatively in, inexpensive, and it was also cleaner than than working with paint. And so I ended up making drawings, and I was making figurative drawings. You know, we were talking before you were saying how you were transitioning into figuration from abstraction. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the same thing where where I just I just started making these drawings and a lot of it was you know self portraiture I would work with collaged photographs and and in a way it was just kind of like teaching myself or like reacquainting myself with with drawing again and you know but I was making these drawings and and after a while you know I don't really know how this happened but someone had said oh you know you should have Jeff Bailey look at your work I had some friends who were showing with Jeff Bailey back then and and so we somehow um set up a a visit and and he liked the work and it actually fit in with one of the shows that he was putting on at the same time but because i was late to the table he just put my work in the office instead of the main show and and you know i had my work up in in a chelsea gallery in the office and roberta smith had come in to the to see the work to see the show and she had um, asked about my my drawings in the office of Jeff Bailey and that sort of opened another door and Jeff like had seen some of the work I had made a ton of drawings and someone who was slated to have the October show that year in 2016 um, backed out and I had a full body of work and he showed this body of work and then that sort of where everything sort of took off. Wow. How does that happen? Somebody not showing up. I mean, it's, it's, I think um, (laughs) the thing is like, I don't think that they were ready for, for the, to have the work. And, you know, I had over, I had just like accumulated all this work and I was just making a ton of drawings and I just had this body of work ready to go and it just happened. And, you know, it was in a way, it was like when I was making this stuff, it wasn't anything that I had seriously thought about showing. It was sort Mm -hmm. of all this, like kind of this private stuff that I was doing in the, in my bedroom, you know, and because I had no intention of becoming a figurative artist and it's somehow like, that's sort of just what it's what happened. And, you know, after that show, it, it was, it was a really successful show and it just sort of started this path down of having this career as this representational artist. And I ended up showing 
and working with Jeff Bailey for almost for over 10 years, I think. And it was just, I was making these drawings, but I sort of kind of stumbled into that just because I, you know, it was this private thing. And then, and then it just became a very public thing. My work (laughs) initially, it wasn't my intention to, to do that. And so I kind of just rode that, that wave of, of making the work, you know? And so to kind of think about that arc, what kind of led you down the road to where you're at currently with your work? You know, as we talked about earlier, you know, it sounds like there were some childhood experiences being around textiles, fabrics, and things like that. But, you know, I would imagine there's a story there in terms of, you know, especially the more recent years, because like you're saying, you know, <laughs> probably not a lot of time to make artwork when you're working, uh, you know, 12 hour days for a bunch of artists. <laughs> you know, I had been making drawings for a long time and it was all graphite, all charcoal. So I wasn't working with color. And my first solo show with Jeff Bailey, that happened in 2004. I moved to New York in 2000. So it took me about four years. Mm-hmm. So around 2014, I was about to have my, was, I think it was my fourth solo show with Jeff. But earlier on in that year, I had decided that I wanted to make paintings again. And so because you know, I had been working with graphite and charcoal, black and white mostly, for, for 10 years. And I, I just really wanted to work with color again. I wanted to work with paint. I also wanted to work abstractly because, you know, the drawings that I was making, I felt like it, it was too limiting for me. And I wanted to to sort of open it up a little bit. And and so I started making these paintings secretly, these like really horrible paintings and just, you know, just in private, just because I hadn't been painting. And and then I, I decided that I wanted to to sort of stop making drawings and, and really focus on paintings. And that sort of came at the time when Jeff was moving. He was he was leaving Chelsea and he was moving his gallery upstate. And it sort of we, we, we sort of parted ways amicably just because I didn't feel at the time that I wanted to show drawings anymore. You know, I want I really just wanted to make a shift and 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 make paintings. And so I just started making paintings in 2014. I didn't have that fourth solo show I, I think it was the best decision just because you know when your heart's not in it why show the work and mm-hmm. so my heart my heart wasn't in it and so there was just something beckoning me to 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 go to to return the painting and so I spent the next few years just making paintings and I was finding out ways to to make paintings you know a lot of the the drawings that I I had made previously they, you know, there, there was a lot of queer content and imagery. And for me, that was part of what was limiting about it was it was limiting to just the imagery, but it was also towards the audience. Like I wanted it to reach more of a broader audience. And for me, um, abstraction became that way to, to open it up. And so I really just wanted to to focus on ways to deal with that content, but then to also to work in abstraction. And so then it could also be about other things. It wasn't about a specific thing that there, there could be multiple readings, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I just spent a, a couple of years after that, just really focusing on painting. And, and I did this one project in 2016 called yearbook where I, I painted one painting every single day for the entire year. Mm-hmm. And I did it every single morning. They were 12 by nine inches on canvas. And I gave myself an hour. I had this time clock, <laughs> a timer, and it was just like, I set the timer one hour and it was like, all right, go and make this painting. And, and part of that was because I, I hadn't 
I hadn't painted in in ten years, and and I I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. You know, like like when I first became an artist, or when I first started painting, I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do because I had been a musician and I wasn't an artist. And so it, it sort of came back again to me with this project in 2016. I felt that I because I hadn't painted in so long, I. I had a lot of catching up to do. And so it became this exercise to just paint every single day, make a painting, not care whether or not it was perfect uh, because there was going to be another painting the next day. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it also just um, allowed me to sort of accept mistakes and failure and to move on and to learn from them in a, in a much more sort of expedited way. That's again, that's 365 hours, you know, uh, so that time is also something huge. Yeah, well, that year it was a leap year, so it was 366 <laughs> hours. <laughs> well, there uh, you go. <laughs> yeah, it was also in that year that I went on another residency, my first residency in a long time, and I went to the Fire Island Artist Residency, and I was um, working on this project while I was there because it was such a small, you know, the format was really small. It was, you know, these 12 by 9 inch paintings. They were all acrylic, and I just did one every single day, and, and I met an artist named Jesse Herod, and she was the the head of the fibers and materials studies department at Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia. And um, that summer when we were there on the residency, she she had mentioned the idea of translating one of my paintings into um, a tapestry, a jacquard, uh, like a woven tapestry on a jacquard loom. And at the time, I had no idea what, what she was talking about. And I was like, this sounds, I don't know what it is, but this sounds amazing. It sounds interesting. Yeah, let's do it. And so that fall, I went to to Tyler to be a visiting artist and in the fibers and materials studies department. And um, I got to work on a jacquard loom, and it was based on a painting that I had done from that painting a day project. And I turned it into three different weavings. And I, you know, that week that I was there, I, I worked with two weavers, Robin Kang and Crystal Gregory, and they were super instrumental in helping me with turning or translating these paintings into weavings. And that that experience was a life changing experience for me. It was another one of those just like gut feelings that like I, I wish that I had come to this 15 years earlier, you know, like I was, I was making this and it's like, whoa, this there was just something about working in that way of working on a loom, this jacquard loom and turning my painting into a weaving that it gave me more of a, a respect and appreciation for how cloth is made. Mm-hmm. Because up until then, I really didn't even think about that. Even even though the paintings that I was making, they were all abstract and I was referencing textile patterns or like patterns found in nature or architectural patterns. I never really thought that to use the process or to use the materials up until up until that moment, um, making those weavings. And that totally was a game changing moment for me. And after after that experience, I came back to Brooklyn and I, I took some classes at the textile arts center i took a sewing class i took some weaving classes and then it was just like i've just become obsessed with it ever since and and i've just been working with textiles ever since then well and for somebody like myself that doesn't know enough about this and clearly there's kind of like this way of kind of manipulating it you know maybe talk a little bit about some of those things that you had learned you know because especially like as i look over at the work you know it's just so interesting to think about how precise it looks yeah. Um, and granted, that's also, you know, a little bit probably like of the digital side of it. But like, right. again, I just 
I don't think anybody necessarily that would be as familiar would see these and go immediately like, oh, that's probably a sewn thing, you know, compiled of all these different textiles. Seeing them digitally is it's very deceiving because, you know, a, a lot of times I've I've had this experience where people have come to the studio after seeing the work on Instagram or on online, and they come into the studio and see the work and they're like, oh, these are these are sewn. These are textiles. They, they look like hard-edged paintings, and and I think that that's sort of you know one of the things that I'm I'm working with and against is is that I you know coming from this background in painting and and you know my interests in hard edge abstraction and abstraction in general, but but finding finding ways to incorporate textiles in the mix and to to sort of create a painting that's not a painting, mm-hmm. but that it's a painting, you know, um, and so. I remember when I started working with textiles, there's just something about the material that I felt like I wasn't achieving with just paint alone. Mm-hmm. I, I think because textiles have a story, there's a narrative that's embedded into textiles. And everyone has a relationship to textiles because we wear clothes, right? It's We all have this intimate connection to it. And I think as a material, mm-hmm. and because it can be loaded that in that way, way you know with with emotional content that became interesting to me too because then you know i i could make these abstract paintings but then they could still refer to the body or to a place because of textiles and so that's something that i'm i'm really interested in and and also being able to work with color and pattern and even now like returning to weaving yeah those are all things that are interesting to me well, to kind of redirect that, you know, everybody should go check out your website, paulooarau.com, and obviously, you know, plenty of stuff on Instagram as well, but to kind of like yeah. dissect some of these and think about process, you know, that's something that I immediately said to you very early on. Right. I love seeing these just because I'm so fascinated how they're made. You know, if we look at like uh, We Belong Together, which is, again, something from just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So for somebody that doesn't have any idea about how this process, is this like comprised of different types of uh, things that you've kind of woven or like, I guess, explain how how this is in reality. I don't know. Like, again, it's just fascinating. Yeah. So a lot of the fabrics that I use, I source them from places that I travel to. Uh, I also get fabrics from the garment district. I also dye fabrics. And then also uh, I incorporate secondhand clothing. And so a lot of it is, you know, pieced and stitched. Mm-hmm. So they, they appear to be these geometric hard edge paintings, but in, in actuality, they're sewn fabrics that are stretched over wooden stretcher bars, much like you, you would stretch canvas over a stretcher bar and paint the canvas. These are these are just, you know, fabric uh, remnants, scraps, pieces that I, that I piece together uh, and I sew on a, on a sewing machine and then stretch over. Over, over stretcher bars because it is fabric and you stretch it that adds another element to, to the work because then it adds this tension which then sort of distorts the geometry and softens the geometry and that's something that helps to accentuate the imperfections that occur because also you know when people see these things digitally they seem hard-edged and precise but then when you see them up close that they are very tactile mm-hmm. there there are imperfections they're skewed i i've always joked around about like you know people who are 
quilters or who sew, when they see these things, like they're not perfect and they're not meant to be sewn perfectly. You know, it's like I, I use the process of sewing, but I use it to sort of my own end. I like to say that I use the process in a wrong way to produce something that feels right to me. You know, it's like I don't I don't go about intending to sew things perfectly. And it's it's interesting that relationship that you were talking about earlier, too, because then you start thinking about the imperfections of the work relating to where they're sourced from. Right. But I mean, to think about like even where garments come from to, you know, even like my shirt has a little stain on it that I saw the other right. day. So yeah. I start thinking about that as an imperfection. But then yeah. I don't know, like I start thinking about that related to, like you said, like like a, a human person. Yeah. But then there's all these kind of various systems in there, you know. Um, working with discarded clothes versus, you know, maybe you find like a really chic dress at some Goodwill store that's, you know, got the perfect color for you. It is that, but I'm also interested in, in like the different textures that, that mm -hmm. with working with different fabrics and, and sort of um, seeing how materials behave with each other, because sometimes, you know, and, and this is something that I've learned as I've been working with textiles is that some, some fabrics, when you, when you sew them, together just are horrible like they, <laughs> they don't they're not meant to be sewn together and I find that really fascinating and so sometimes I try to include fabrics that you know like a harder fabric like a denim versus like a softer cotton or silk and just like there there is like this sort of dealing with or working with sort of this physicality like because I come from a painting background and I still I still think about these as paintings in terms of their physicality, the composition, the way that I think about color. But but it's working with a different material. You know, this this fabric is paint for me. Mm -hmm. And then the different textures has that, you know, the physicality that I like in, in the painting. So they're not as flat because they do read flat when you see them digitally. But then, you know, they're they're definitely not that. And then also, when, when you see them in person, you can see that the seams are showing that the reverse is actually in the front and vice versa, like is, you know, playing around with the idea of what what's being seen and what's being sort of hidden and exposed all together. Well, and I like the way, too, that you'll jump around in terms of exploring different shapes or different configurations. So, you know, there's the uh, textile constructions uh, uh, pieces as well that are kind of more, I guess, triangular. I'm assuming these are kind of more flat, some of them. Yeah, they're they're more those aren't stretched, so they're they're just pinned to the wall. And the way that those textile constructions came about, they're they're sort of the failed sewn paintings. So <laughs> like you know, the, the paintings that I thought were like they just didn't work. I tore them off of I like just ripped them off of the stretcher bars. I I cut them up, reconfigured them, and then, you know, I had them on the floor and I and and then I just started pinning them to the wall. And I was like, you know, this this is something that's really like I'm really interested in this. And they sort of stemmed from failure. And that that became something that I was interested in, too. It's just like the notion of, you know, these failures producing successes. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that I had learned from that that year long painting project. Sometimes the thing that you that you strive out to achieve isn't the thing that you were meant to be doing, right? It's 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 the thing that surprises you along the way, or 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 the failures that that come up. That's sort of where the attention needs to be, and that's where the focus is. And and so these textile constructions came out of that. They they were failed paintings in my mind, and and then I just sort of reconfigured them and gave them a different life. And so 
but then it was also a way for me to 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 work off of stretchers too so i i don't mm-hmm. want to be limited in any any one way of working or any one method of working and i i do like going back and forth between working over stretched pieces and then also just working with pieces that are pinned to the wall or or whatever what have you you know i would imagine just given some of the things that you've talked about it's like i'm just going to do a lot of this and then see what kind of works or is there kind of like preliminary work that helps guide it it's it's a bit of both you know like i i still make a lot of sketches i i have a sketchbook i i make drawings but but you know those are more for rough ideas of just figuring out composition or uh, or ideas about color and and they're really just general blueprints and then from there they establish sort of this this loose format from which i can improvise and mm-hmm. just i think because i having worked from photographs when i was making drawings and sort of working from photographs it, it was it was this way of you know, just working from A to B and like translating or, or just sort of, it's just sort of executing from the photograph or the preparatory drawings that I make now, they're just sort of the get me to make the first step. And then, you know, they just establish sort of a foundation and then I just kind of improvise on top of that. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, in terms of color, when I start off, you know, sometimes I'll just sew a couple strips or three strips of color together. And to me, that forms this chord, like this musical chord. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of establishes the key of the piece of, you know, whether it's like a minor key or a major key and, and sort of like what the feeling of that is. And so the approach to, to making work isn't always the same. You know, sometimes it is starts with the drawing. Other times it starts with color. It can vary depending on what, what it is that, that, that I'm making. And I think, again, that's definitely something that a lot of artists will do is to kind of like shift into different bodies of work or, or try something out, you know, and it, right. it's interesting to see the, the variations. Cause you know, again, we were talking about ones that were, you know, on canvas and they become about shapes yeah. and then in kind of some more recent uh, ones from the sewn paintings work, you know, it's interesting because there's almost like this mirroring going on, kind of like a yeah. kind of symmetrical balance, but you know, it's really interesting how that kind of gets explored sometimes in like kind of slightly different ways, but you know, like some of them kind of call back to other components. And then sometimes, I don't know, there, there's just like this really cool funkiness to it right. as well. Yeah. You know, you had mentioned earlier the, the, the series we belong together, you know, that they're, they're these symmetrical or what appear to be symmetrical mirrored paintings. It sort of led to me working more symmetrically on the singular paintings that I do, you know, cause I was making the, I was making these diptychs and to me, you know, these diptychs were, were hugely inspired by Felix Gonzalez Torres. Um, he, he did this piece called perfect lovers, which was two, two clocks that were side by side. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the piece, but like it was this really just poetic, powerful piece about his his partner um who was dying of aids mm-hmm. but it's two clocks on the wall touching you know it's just like one clock is going to run out uh, of batteries before the other you know and then and then you just don't know like time wise which one's going to which one's going to expire first the we belong together series was largely inspired by this specific work by Felix Gonzalez Torres and you know i i wanted to find a way to, to still work with diptychs, but on a, on a single painting. And so, so for me, it was just 
collapsing that symmetry into one. Uh, I, I mean, it seems like it would be this obvious thing to, to start out from the beginning, but that's sort of not how I came to it. I, you know, I started thinking about these two separate things as, you know, this pair, and but then I wanted I wanted to unify this pair, and and then that that became you know the 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 singular zone paintings, and so. I am interested in playing around with this appearance of symmetry, but then when you when you look a little bit longer, it's totally not symmetrical. Like mm -hmm. it could be a shift in the in the geometry, it could be a shift in the color, but there there are these subtle um, nuances that happen that throw off this expectation of symmetry. And there's this wonderful kind of play with like kind of almost suggesting space or layers in the way that, you know, colors interact. So, I mean, that's something that's also really kind of fascinating. So another interesting kind of thing, again, it seems like there's a lot of these shifts. So the shaped paintings kind of seem like another variation of that idea, or maybe, you know, like maybe you take a mistake and go like, how do I fix this? And then that becomes right. a new series. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the shaped paintings working on these these uh, parallelogram shaped stretcher bars, that, that sort of came from, you know, as I was making these stretch paintings, they felt a little too close to, to quilt making for me mm -hmm. or like people people would comment on uh, them being quilts and which which was totally like fine. I, I have no I don't mind that reading. There is an obvious relationship to that. But for me. I think part of it was that I also wanted it to read not as a quilt, not as a painting. And so by, by somehow shifting the shape of it, it, it forced it into, or it sort of uh, brought it into a new direction where, where it wasn't so obvious. It became more of an object rather than a painting, even though it, it still is a painting that goes along with just thinking about different different ways of presenting a painting and they're usually square or rectangular and I you know a shape painting is a is a different form it's just this format that I wanted to to try out yeah no absolutely and again that's something that gets really exciting because it seems like there's a lot of that that you can get to play with or kind of vary and one of those ways too is just the presentation of it so you know like there's other other pieces that are literally comprised of a bunch of pieces like yeah Everyone, I think, is really kind of interesting because, again, it's almost like, you know, doing 15 self-portraits or something like that. You right. know, like there's right. this weird kind of idea about that where it's got that same kind of vibe in some weird ways. Right. And again, that's that's kind of fun. I mean, is that something where like you might get invited to have a, a piece at, you know, a space and then you've got to come up with something to, you know, draw those people in? That piece specifically everyone and then there's a second piece called of color mm -hmm. those two pieces were made for uh, a show that i did at patricia suito gallery in san francisco a couple years ago and she had wanted a piece i think she had seen a piece of mine where i had done like a whole bunch of paintings on the wall and so she she liked the idea of like multiple pieces being presented as one and so that sort of came about that way and that piece happened while i was at vermont studio center mm -hmm. and so i made all that work when i was at vermont studio center back in 2018 or 2019 it, it kind of is going back to like a really earlier first pieces that i made that was a drawing when i first moved to new york and it was this this piece called the flock and i i had made this drawing it was basically the the spread in my high school yearbook 
I mm-hmm. opened it up to my page. What I did was I superimposed my facial features onto every single person in on that page in the high school yearbook. So I, I made this drawing, which was like 40 different small portraits uh, in, you know, we were all in our yearbook <laughs> formal attire. But it's like you, you look at the, the image and it's like you realize that all the facial features are exactly the same because it's they're my facial features superimposed onto everyone. And so this piece, everyone you know, it's totally not representational, but it, it's going back to that idea of sameness versus um, difference. And also just thinking about originals versus a copy. Mm-hmm. And also just that idea of repetition, which which also goes back to music. And yeah, so all of these things sort of have, have come in and out throughout the years. And, and even though they've, they've sort of, they're presented in a different way, it's still like thinking about all these things that I that I had been thinking about for this whole time. Kind of one of the pieces I think that I became familiar with your work on was when you were at Bemis. And, yeah. you know, obviously there's this massive, <laughs> you know, amount of uh, repetition going on in that massive wall piece, but I especially get drawn into some of these other variations, especially like the post of, you know, kind of all these patterns kind of wrapped around this post. Yeah. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about that experience, because I would, I would imagine, you know, doing something like that is totally going to, again, kind of send you in another direction where you're like, oh, man, yeah. I have to find more opportunities for this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's sort of the wrapping that timber column in the studio wouldn't have happened had I not had that studio, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like I, I got to Bemis and. You know, first of all, it was like one of the largest studios that I've ever had in my entire life. It, it was close to, I think it was over 2,000 square feet. And I had never had a space to work in that big ever. And there were about 10 to 15 columns in the studio. And when I first walked in and I saw the space, I was like, oh, man, I, I think I need to do something with the columns, like, because they're everywhere. And I, you know, this is what a, what a, great opportunity to do something like this because I have no other way to do this otherwise. And so my initial idea was to wrap all of the columns in my space, but I didn't have the time to do so because I I ended up having to make work for for a show that came up, like just a last minute mm-hmm. show. And so I spent a large majority of the time at Bemis making this work for for a show at David B. Smith Gallery in Denver. And then once I finished making that work, I was able to make this wrapped column because I also lived in the space that I worked at Bemis. I was just, I was surrounded by these columns every single day and it was, I could not not see them, you know? So I had to do something with them. And, but I, I like the idea of, of, of wrapping this column, you know, taking this thing that, that is like this strong foundation for this building, but then wrapping it with, with something soft, this fabric. I was thinking, I, I was thinking a lot about Brancusi as well. I was reading, I was looking at a lot of his work and I just thought about making this this pillar and wrapping it. And so so sort of in that pillar, there's this sort of stacks of diamond shapes and that, that was sort of thinking about Brancusi. And obviously the, the massive piece, what's the, the story about that? Is that something that is literally like one piece or is it like one of those one, one a day or five a day type projects? <laughs> it's an evolving quilt piece. So it's called Collective Comfort and it's made from... Um, a lot of the remnants that that come from the sewn paintings that I do, or it also includes a lot of failed paintings that I chop up and I I just re sort of repurpose into this large quilt. So yeah, part of part of that the way that that came about was you know you know whenever I'm stuck in the studio, like I get blocked. 
mm-hmm. I'm working on something, I, I just would just start sewing some blocks together. And I, I ended up just sewing like eight by eight inch blocks just to sort of not think about the painting that I was working on and just to keep my mind occupied or like to keep my mind off of it. And I, I started calling them my anxiety blocks just, just to like get, get my mind off of these things. So I, I, I had accumulated a stack of these blocks and I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And uh, I was, you know, the stack kept on growing and growing and growing. And I thought, you know, I thought that I would make a quilt out of it because I, I love this idea of something that was born out of anxiety, mm-hmm. um, being a source of comfort in the end. So like taking that anxiety and turning it into a source of comfort. So then I, I took all these anxiety blocks and I decided that I would make a quilt for my bed <laughs> I, I had never officially made a quilt before, you know, like with the batting and, and a second layer, like I'd never done that. And so I was like, okay, let me try to do this. And so I started making this quilt for my bed and I was like, you know what? I think this needs to be bigger than my bed. And I thought like, I just wanted to make this huge quilt. I want like just taking this idea of collective comfort and anxiety and I wanted it to be this really big piece. And so I just decided that I would make a really huge quilt that's going to be continually evolving. Right now, where it's at, it's about 10 and a half feet by 21 <laughs> feet. And so it's like, I would eventually love for this to be the size of a football field or, right. or longer, right? Like this huge, um, this huge quilt, you know, like this collective, collective comfort. But, but you know, all of it is, it's made from all the remnants um, from from my paintings it's just like scraps of fabric on my studio floor or paintings that you know i i feel like aren't successful i'll cut up and i'll i'll put them into this piece and you know it so it is sort of this tangential sort of project but it's uh, an ongoing project and it's nice to know that it's just a never ending piece it's it, it'll keep on going because for as long as i keep making paintings and for as long as i keep making bad paintings mm-hmm. but then i cut up this piece will continually exist. So, um, right. Yeah. Until, until your time runs out. Yeah. Until uh, my time runs out. <laughs> until like <can> no so. <laughs> longer. Well, and yeah. I love that too. I mean, like, again, it's, it's interesting because obviously like a lot of artists will kind of have their, you know, hands in different places to, to kind of have, you know, uh, maybe more like your recent work that are kind of more like triangular kind of shapes yeah. or singular, you know, variations. And then, you know, again, you might get an opportunity to explore a space and then you're, you know, going to make some installation or kind of have some of these wall hangings. So again, it's really kind of fascinating to see that kind of range. And I would imagine there's stuff that maybe people haven't seen. I would, I say this because the never too much series is the the latest that's on your website, but I would imagine there's plenty of work that you're kind of like secretly not showing us. <laughs> yeah. The never too much is that that's sort of the last body of work, but I, I had just completed a big show for the Columbus museum in Georgia. So that just opened recently and that I haven't put any of the new work on my website yet, but you know, I, I have been posting a little bit of, of the pieces on Instagram. Um, and then I'm also, I just completed a bunch of work for uh, an upcoming solo show at, at Morgan Lehman gallery, which I'm, I'm, I'm staring at them in my studio right now and they're, <laughs> they're heading out next week. And yeah, so 
Yeah. And then at the same time, I've been, I've been doing a lot of weaving. And so that, that, that's something that I want to sort of reintroduce into the work because it, it was weaving that sort of got me to making textile work in the first place. And so it's something that I want to revisit and also thinking a lot about drawing again, because, because of having worked on this, um, show for Columbus, which was, I, sh- I guess I should talk about that. It's, I was invited to curate uh, a selection of drawings from the, the museum's permanent collection. And from this sort of selection, I was I would make new sewn paintings that were in dialogue with those drawings. And so I curated about close to 40 pieces from the, the museum's collection and um, made new work. I made about 13 new pieces for, the, for that show. So so drawing has been on my mind a lot for the past few months. And, and so, you know, thinking about it in terms of this project for the Columbus Museum, but then also thinking about like when I first came to New York, that's sort of how I started making work was through drawing. And it, it's just interesting to see how how these things sort of come back mm-hmm. in different ways. And and even for the show that I'm making work for for Morgan Lehman, it's based on it's based on weaving but but specifically it's based on the drawings for weaving so so it's on the preparatory sketches uh so what what are called drawdowns and it's sort of like the visual sort of represent or the graphic representation of a cloth structure and so it just you know you can see like the the structure of the cloth and so so this 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 recent show it's it's sort of this combination of of Quilting, drawing, painting, weaving, all in one, or, t- you know, taking all these ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, again, it, it sounds like, if anything, you know, there's always something churning, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of things to work towards. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that's interesting. We kind of go down these rabbit holes of, like, exploration, you know, and right. it, it, it sometimes seems like such a small thing to outsiders, like, what's going to send you off in another direction? But then it's like, oh, I've got to investigate this type of technique or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Cause I, I like to work in a space of not knowing, you know, or just out of curiosity and just to see what happens. And I love being able to experiment with new things, new directions, or because what, like now when I think about the trajectory of the work and, and how to me, in my mind, everything is, is linked conceptually though, though visually they may may seem different because i do work in series um you know the underlying concepts are are all the same mm-hmm. you know still working with the grid working with color with with um music um repetition symmetry all all of that has occurred in all the different forms of work that i've made whether it be drawing painting textiles it's like trying to find different answers to the same question. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how I would describe it. And so, yeah, it is just operating in a, in a space of curiosity. Like I like to think of my studio as this laboratory where I can like test things out and experiment. And then, you know, I think having finished these two two exhibitions that are up, like I'm looking forward to just spending time experimenting with weaving and, you know, seeing what else comes up. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just to kind of make sure everybody knows where to go, where's the best place to kind of follow, you know, what you're doing? Are you pretty like active on Instagram in terms of like sharing progress shots or is that? I've tried to, to, to sort of limit the Instagram usage, but I do share some process in my stories. And then 
I'll post more completed finished work on my account, but then you do see some of the behind the scenes and in the stories. But yeah, Instagram, uh, my website, it's always the last thing to get updated is the website. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, yeah, I mean, it's great to hear all the different things that you have going on, all the uh, hands in different cookie jars, if you will, and and all the production. Again, it's just such impressive work. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about it today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you reached out. I was happy to have this conversation. A big thanks to Paulo for joining me. Check out his website, paloarau.com. You can find him on Instagram. Be sure to follow him there at Paulo underscore Arau. His solo exhibition, Drawdown, is up right now at Morgan Lehman Gallery in New York, and it runs through May 8th. He also has an exhibition up at the Columbus Museum in Columbus, Georgia. It's called Paulo Arau in Dialogue with Drawing. And you heard a little bit about that towards the end of this interview. That exhibition runs through August 8th. Quick reminder once again, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are plenty more on studiobreak.com. You can go check out the artists that have been featured, each of which have images of their work, links to their websites, and you can listen right there on studiobreak.com. Or if you want to subscribe to the podcast, that's a great way to always have something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. It makes a great studio companion. And again, so happy that people are enjoying it. Let me give a quick shout out to Mia Reesberg and Liz Atlas. Glad that you enjoyed the recent interview with Gabe Langhortz. Again, there are plenty of other episodes on studiobreak.com. Contemporary ceramic artist Sam Mack, Bethany Irons, who does a lot of digital-based work, and Paul Lockney, who's a collage artist all within the last year. So plenty of different artists to check out there. If you like an episode... Give us a holler. Once again, you can do that on our Facebook page. And, of course, like it. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And, of course, say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. It's also a great place to earn some karma points by spreading the word about Studio Break. So we really appreciate that. Our songs for today by Remedial Indie Band, which will be renamed on an episode coming up. But that features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. If you want to see some of Ben's paintings, go and check them out. M. Ben Cohan Studio on Instagram. And you can follow Brett Beery, who's also a musician. He's got an album on Bandcamp. Find him on Instagram at Brett Beery. And of course, I'm David Lenoy, so you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at David Linaway. Be sure to say hello. It's always great to hear from listeners and those that enjoy the podcast. You can also find my paintings at davidlinaway.com. And there it is. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I hope that your studios are productive, that you're making all sorts of cool work. Spring is in the air. Stay safe. We'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>